0: We don't talk business we don't talk a whole lot of business we, we spend time about each other and who we are and family dynamics and stuff of that nature
1: yeah i think that that's one of the most important things that we can dig into is the way that you make those connections right welcome to the more than corporate podcast i'm amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher if you're anything like i used to be You've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do. And now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm really excited to have a good friend of mine, Rick Cosgrove, on the show with me today. Rick, after 27 years in corporate America, most recently in executive leadership on the sales side with a top 10 Fortune 500 firm rick decided it was time to go make a difference in others lives as an entrepreneur rick is the president of cause Grove financial services the parent company to savon real estate planning where he helps families avoid probate through an affordable estate plan ensuring their assets are in position to transfer after death this year he launched his next business which is savon taxes and is ready to take on the tax season additionally along with his business partner Excuse me, business partner Kendall Haney are founding members of this strategic business connections. If you guys are in the Las Vegas community and you haven't checked out one of the networking events that Rick puts on with the strategic business connections. You guys are absolutely missing out. They are fantastic events, both in just a regular networking. And then also they do these amazing events with golf nets. So if you're in the Vegas community, definitely reach out to them. Before we bring Rick on the show, I want to remind you guys that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions and the Design Your Life Book Club. You guys hear me talk about reading all the time. You know how important it is to me. And I truly believe that your level of success will never exceed your level of personal development. If you are ready to learn from people who have not only lived their lives in a way that you would like to, but have written books about it and are ready to share their experiences, then reach out to me. We read the books together throughout the month, and then I actually introduce you to the author where you can go deeper into the experiences and implementation that will allow you to grow your business. With that being said, let's go ahead and bring Rick on the show. Rick, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much, Amber. It's a pleasure. I'm glad you've uh, asked me to be on the podcast.
1: Yeah, I'm really excited. So we're going to dig into your background here in just a minute, but I do want to reiterate that the things that you're doing in the Las Vegas networking community are just fantastic. And I think that the idea that you had come up with with Kendall, with combining something as amazing as um, a sport like golf and then you know all the other activities that you have in your head for future events, um, it takes the pressure off of networking in a way that traditional going past my business card around and meet people doesn't do. And I just think that that's really amazing. How did you come up with those ideas?
0: Well, I wish I could take full credit of it. Someone else was doing GolfNet, but wasn't really doing it on the level uh, and didn't really want to be involved with it any longer. So, so we took it on and we took it to the next level. And, you know, not trying to reinvent the wheel of networking, but certainly bringing different aspects to it. And really, I was told by somebody that, man, when you spend four hours in a cart with someone you've never met before, it's that epitome of building a relationship. You're going to really get to know that individual. Uh, and I bought in, I bought in and we started throwing the events and, uh, you know, just securing the golf courses and getting out there. And it, it's been phenomenal. And, you know, we, we spend that four hours with that one individual. And then we get to know the other two in your foursome, if you will. But then we go to lunch afterwards. And the entire group usually stays for, for lunch, you know, you'll know, minus a couple who might have other obligations. And then we all get to break bread and have lunch together. And, and, and we don't talk business. We don't talk a whole lot of business. We, we spend time about each other and who we are and family dynamics and stuff of that nature.
1: Yeah, I think that that's one of the most important things that we can dig into is the way that you make those connections, right? Like so many people want to know who you are and what you do, or they want to say who they are and what they do. But nobody cares what you do until they know who you are and what you stand for and whether your values align. And I think that it's really cool that you've created an opportunity for people to get to know each other without that what do you do? What's your title? Where's your identity in the profession? So I think that's really awesome. Let's go ahead and talk about you for a minute. So I always love to ask this question because I think it's really interesting to see what we thought our lives would be like when we knew everything about everything that those teenage years where we don't need any information from anyone because we got it all under control. So when you were like a teenager, 14, 15, 16 area, um, what did you think you wanted to be when you grew up?
0: Well, I'll be honest. I didn't know what I wanted to be. Uh, What I ended up becoming was a father at 16. So at that point, life changed. Um, Wasn't planned clearly, Um, (laughs) but life changed. What I wanted to be was our family owned a dry cleaning business and it was Save On Dry Cleaners, which is the title of my business is I'm paying homage. And I didn't go to college at the time, came out of high school, had to support a family. Uh, By 20, I had my second child. So I had to get to work and I thought I was going to be in the dry cleaning business and I was going to follow my dad's footsteps. And then you had the fallout from the Rodney King verdict and you had the LA riots in 1992 and all our businesses were burnt to the ground. And uh, my father didn't have proper insurance or any of that stuff. And now here I am, you know, early 20s, trying to figure out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to support my family. So I went into the banking industry and uh, then had a 27 year career doing that. So what I wanted to be never really came to fruition. It was just go into the family business and just carry on our business that started in the sixties and um, things changed.
1: Which is a really interesting rabbit hole to go down because, you know, you could have had the traditional college education and then wouldn't have had the experiences that come along with jumping in and running a business and all of the things that come along with, you know, carrying the torch in that family business. Do you feel like without going to college outside of the title that you might be missing, do you feel like you missed out on anything?
0: Well, I did go to college. So it was 1992. My banking career started in 93. And I jumped into college, I hit community college. And and then I ended up at Cal State Dominguez Hills graduated in 99 with a bachelor's in uh, business administration and accounting. So I do have a college degree. And but the interesting thing about that is I came out of college with this college degree and really never put it to the use. I've never been an accountant, uh, business, of course, uh, because I as I was going through college, I was rapidly moving up in the a banking industry to the point where the salary I was making, I wasn't going to go be an entry level accountant. So yeah. it, it just, you know, I just, you know, I have it because if I was to apply for those executive level positions, I didn't want to be passed up by that person where they're both qualified, but ah, this one has the college degree. Let's go with that individual. I wanted that to be on my resume. Um, so we did what, accomplish it.
1: What do you think skill wise, well, actually, let me rephrase that. Do you think that entering the job force and and to be clear, before I ask this question, I am not dissing college in any way, shape or form. I mean, hell, I sat in that environment for 15 years. Like, obviously, I believe it, it works. But I'm curious to know, do you think you learned more about business, leadership, success in college or in your family business?
0: Uh, neither. Neither. Really? Le- learned a lot of what not to do in my family business as I reflected back. You know, um, I wasn't thinking a college degree and business to really helped me in a family business. I was just thinking, what's college going to teach me about dry cleaning that my father couldn't teach me? Well, it was going to teach me how to run a business. He didn't run his businesses properly. That's why we lost everything and couldn't rebuild. Um, so I jumped into college, but I learned more in my career. If I'll be honest, so the the one you didn't put on the table was my banking career. That is where I showed the most growth and learned the most from dealing with others. And then I evolved with the times from being that, you know, hit the widgets manager to a leader, you know, and and you learn that you can't sustain (laughs) that level of in your face, got to hit these numbers for an entire career. At Some point you got to become that leader. That people want and enjoy to work for.
1: How much of that transition do you think had to do with age? And how much of it do you think had to do with the environment that you were in in
0: the banking industry? Well, it had to do with both. And and Uh, to
1: be clear, like obviously by age, I I just mean we all mature through whatever experiences we have. And that's what I'm referring to.
0: Right. So got in in my early 20s, obviously, spent 27 years in that industry. And uh, that's where most of my professional growth. Came from, you know. Um, if I'm being honest, that's that's where it came from. That's where I learned. That's how I evolved. And I did it through a lot of mistakes, <laughs> a lot yes. of trial and error. Uh, you know, that's life, right? A lot of trial and error, um, and just you know, listening. You know, I, I in the early days, I wasn't the best listener, and and then I would start listening more. And um, I built a career, Amber, out of getting the best out of others. Not because I'm anything special, but because I took a genuine interest in their personal development and growth, along with their professional development and growth. I cared about who their families were and I wanted to know who their families were. And by taking that interest and using that as my leadership style and being genuine about it, my employees would do anything for me. They would do anything for me because they enjoyed working for me. And that's where I wanted to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, you just said something, a couple of different things that are basically the key to relationships and leadership and networking and life and business. And that's being genuine. You know, if you can't really care about somebody, then don't put yourself in that situation or don't pretend to care. I mean, but see how many people will follow you if you don't care, but people can see through in genuine actions so quickly. So the genuine is the number one thing that I heard you say. And then second was just that real um, interest in others, you know, not just a genuine caring about what they did in their career, but a genuine caring and who they were outside of your career. Um, I think that that's so necessary, especially in today's work environment as we're, exploring with you know the non-traditional way that we're working right now
0: right and and that's just it and and when you think of the networking because you know you go from the corporate world where you're in leadership and and you have people below you and you're affecting them and you're helping them grow and you're doing your thing and then you get into entrepreneurship and you're back to individual production where you started. You're back to being that individual producer because you, you know, I started by myself. You know, the, the biggest expense in the company is salaries and benefits. And I didn't want to add salary and benefits to my business, that expense, until I got the foundation of the business grown. So I'm back as an individual producer. So now when we talk about networking, I found a niche where I can bring my leadership skills back to the game and I can t- take that same interest and, and do what made me so successful but do it in a different arena, if you will, that networking arena. And and that's kind of a lot of my philosophies behind networking. I just want to affect others in a positive way. And if I can do that, um, the networking is a way to bring people together and it allows me to uh, just meet great people and, and hopefully yeah. affect them positively.
1: Yeah, and I think it's really interesting because, I mean, we could – sit down and talk about networking all day. I mean, you and I have spent hours on this conversation, Um, but I just think it's really interesting because there's a couple of different types of networkers out of there. And one of them that everybody's all familiar with is the person that takes a stack of business cards with them. And their goal is to get rid of all of those business cards before they leave. And while that's not awful. It's also not an entire strategy. Um, You know, there's that follow-up and the connections. And I would almost rather go into a room and meet two or three people that I can actually remember who they are and what they do and follow up with and build a connection with than give away 15 business cards to people that I may never hear from again. And I kind of feel like the business card strategy is what people consider networking right now. And they're just missing the point.
0: Yeah. And, and we want to bring a different dynamic to networking. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel because there's a lot of good things. And, and there's a lot of different ways to network and we want to appeal to all that, uh, you know, th- the key is, you know, and I always like to, when someone comes up and says, Hey, what do you do? Uh, it's an awkward question because I don't like to talk about myself and what I do. I prefer to say, ah, oh, you know, I, 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 what I do is I play golf and I, I enjoy my friends and family. Uh, you know, Tell me three things that you do outside of what you do for a profession. And I'm not trying to come off pompous. I'm just trying to get people to to focus on the not the push in who they are, because that doesn't make you that trusted individual in your profession.
1: Yeah. The problem is, though, and this is where, you know, this whole podcast was born from, is most people don't know who they are outside of their profession. How many times as business owners have we actually been asked in a networking or business setting, who are you outside of this meeting?
0: Yeah, very rarely, because people aren't thinking along those lines. So if I can help people change that, and you said something very interesting, you go into a networking event, and you look to meet maybe two or three people that you can maybe help, uh, and maybe can help you support you and build those relationships, because you can't do 40 one-on-ones if you've got 40 people in an event. And you know, a, a quick story, and it won't be too long, but the best event I had, Kendall and I went down, there was a premature announcement that Strategic Business Connections was going away. But we had an event still left that was canceled well kendall and i thought well we better get down there because people might not have saw the cancellation we got down there and two people showed up but they showed up for our event two people Mm -hmm. one of them we already knew but we got to man we he hung out for two hours with us at the bar and we got to really build a deeper connection with this guy and he's been at several of our events but we never got that deep connection and then a new guy showed up and a phenomenal individual and we will have a deep connection this year and we've been in communication Two people showed up to the event and two of the best connections I've made. So you're right. It, it, it's finding the two that can really help you grow and, and, and that you want to be friends with, if you will.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And also let's take this a step further into taking this idea of what networking is into things that aren't traditionally networking opportunities. Like I used to be the type of person that would analyze the viability of a relationship to determine whether or not I wanted to put time into a conversation. So what I mean by this is I'm traveling, right? And I'm at the airport. Why would I ever strike up conversation with the person next to me? Because I'm never going to see that person again, because I've already decided in my head, I'm never going to see that person again. And about three years ago, my mentality started to shift um, corresponding with the time that I got serious about my businesses. And all of a sudden I started to realize how fascinating Conversations with people that you may never see again are, and how much people are willing to give you when they don't think they'll ever see you again, and how much you learn about them. And now it's almost this amazing like, whether I have five minutes with this person, or whether we build a connection and I have five years or 10 years with this person, it's going to be the best five minutes or the best five years ever. And I feel like that has changed the way that I connect with people. Just saying, I'm here in the moment, whatever that moment is. And whatever it's meant to be
0: you know it's interesting you say that um you know for my professional career uh, my 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 corporate career if you will i had to represent a big brand right you know i had to you know i would go to chambers and stuff i didn't have to sell the brand sold itself national advertising and so forth then i got out and started networking and learned a little bit about myself and really fell in love with it because i got to meet so many different people and interesting people everything i do i look now i look at as if it's a networking opportunity to your exact point, sitting in the airport. I might sit next to somebody. I'm going to strike up conversation because I become very comfortable in that arena where just striking up conversation with a stranger I've never met and getting to know them. And, you know, it's about a national audience. You know, if I could affect, if I could have a friend in New York, Hey, I might end up in New York one day. I'd love to look them up and go hang out with them, you know, and what have you. So it's just a different perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it really is for sure. So, um if anybody is trying to follow the path in my head of where this podcast is going don't try because it's clearly all over the place and I love it. Um let's go back to you for a minute. Um on how you got into insurance. So you mentioned this story about your dad losing everything in this, um, in the family business and which is what led you to the banking industry. How much of the pain that you saw your family go through at that moment had to do with you deciding to get into the insurance business space?
0: Well, it was, was greatly important. Um, the reality of it is I had no interest in going into insurance because of that. Um, I got locked out of my career, right? Hit that age. And when I I moved to Nashville, Tennessee for a couple of years and I couldn't get a job, my game plan was to move out of state of California, work another 10 years, uh, pad the retirement and right off in the sunset. And, you know, I was overqualified for everything now. Um, So, you know, I decided to go into insurance because I figured everyone needs it. And then I, I did reflect on my family story and the history. And then I thought, man, I could really affect others because I got a story. I got a story that's not just mine. It's a story that relates to a lot of people. A lot of people have done that. I had a phenomenal childhood, you know, very, very well taken care of by my family. Life got very tough as a young adult, that's when I went through the growing pains and what have you. I was oblivious to, to life as it would become going, if you know, going through my childhood because it was a very, very wonderful one. But you know, we, we live and we learn, so absolutely. The family story, um, because not only did it in there, but then my dad passes away a few years after that, you know, a month before he turns fifty, and we're affected a second time. So first we're affected by not having insurance on our commercial properties that we own, by the way, um, and we lose everything. Now we're affected by my dad passing away and not having anything, and my mom loses her house that we grew up in. And we just lost everything, you know, and and my brothers weren't quite there yet in their development, and here I am now with a new career, and my mom's now my dependent you know, yeah. and, and uh, which I welcomed and, and took care of her because she never worked. She just raised us boys. So uh, it had a lot to do with it to answer your question.
1: Yeah, I, I can really feel and relate to the good childhood and the growing pains as an adult, like obviously we had different growing pains. Um, but I, I did, I had a great childhood. And then young adult happened and life happened. And I, I felt like, you know, and I don't know that there's anything, this is what I struggle with now when it comes to speaking to kids and, and sharing my, um, passion for defining success with people who are still in the high school arena is if anybody would have told me what it was like to be a, a young adult and then, uh, adult adult, I wouldn't have listened. I would have thought like you are describing a horror film right now. There is no way that what you're telling me is real. Um, so I think it's really interesting how we get to figure out how to reach people and plant those seeds at a time where they are hardwired not to listen to a word we say.
0: That's right. It's very, (laughs) the the two two individuals I've had the most, uh, problems with having an influence on my daughters. (laughs) Yeah. My my own children, you know. How old are they you know. now? Well, I got thirty three and thirty.
1: Okay. Okay. So
0: they're up there, but you know, I look at all the 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 younger kids that I influenced and you know had something to do with their career. Not all of it. I don't take full responsibility, but but I had a little bit. And uh, it was very difficult with my own uh, my own kids to have that same impact.
1: Yeah, I think that this is something that. You know, weighs on a lot of people. And the truth is that the people that are closest to us are sometimes the worst people to try to help us or or get um get us to change our mindset or get out of a situation because um they're part of our story, whatever that story is. Whatever story we're telling ourselves to justify the circumstances that we're in, the people who are close. To- closest to us are a part of that. And so anything they tell us just gets filtered through that story. So I know that there's a lot of people out there that are saying, man, I can't talk to, I I didn't feel like I could reach my kids either. And I think that's the human dilemma.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it it is. And uh, you know, you just do your best and at some point they got to learn on their own.
1: Yeah, it's true. uh, It's true. Which is painful, I'm sure. Um, So what is it, in the plan in the future for you with your business, what you mentioned that you had this tax service that you were getting back into, are you combining that with the insurance? Are you switching out of the insurance? What does your future look like outside of the networking goals you
0: have? So, so my brand is Save On and, and, and it started because that was our family dry cleaning business. So Save On estate planning, the plan is to continue to help as many families put their assets in a position to transfer after death uh, without having to hire a lawyer and end up in a court process. Now, what I can help them there, we'll help them on the probate side as well um, with my partner and, and we'll, we'll help them facilitate that process. Save on taxes, you know, when I first got into the banking, I went to an H&R Block course and I started a little tax business while I was growing with banking and going to college. And I've always stayed involved in that. So I added save on taxes because, you know, I went and got those, I have all the licenses to do so. And I thought, you know, let's do it. Let's let's help people that way and, and, and see if I can make a difference and it really just work tax season. Um, so the game plan with that is, you know, I'm partnering with Matnik uh, Bookkeeping and Tax Solutions, um, that will handle all the business and 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 bookkeeping and any payroll type of situations. And I'm going to deal with all personal and any small businesses up to a Schedule C. So the idea is to grow the tax business this year. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I'm looking to add to staff right now, and uh, once we grow that. Next year, I'll focus on really growing the insurance business. Uh, I'm property cash licensed, but I don't do a lot of home and auto. It's, it's, it's a lot of work for very little building a scratch agency. So once I get help, I will focus on that business. Uh, so it's, it's kind of one at a time. And, and, and there's three very separate businesses because they have to be marketed very differently. <laughs> that, you, yeah. know, you can't, you know, if you go on Yelp or Google or anything, there's no category for tax insurance estate planning. So, I had to, so I just said, well, let's just make it the brand under my LLC and uh, we'll roll with it. So, the game plan is the same game, game plan I've always had help as many people as I possibly can and make a difference, whether it's in their tax situation and getting those taken care of, or through an estate plan or through insurance. Uh, the life insurance uh, piece goes hand in hand with the estate planning. That's what I write the most of and help with, whether it's through yeah. wealth accumulation or protection either way I can help in those arenas. So I do that and I just do it through the estate planning business. But uh, the, the game plan for next year is to still run a tax season with help and then um, launch an insurance business if I can find the right partner to do it with me.
1: Yeah. So for the people who are listening to this that are saying, man, um, taxes and insurance and estate planning, these are things that I have tried my hardest to avoid for my entire life. What questions should people be asking themselves to make sure that they are set up for success as they grow their businesses or grow their families?
0: Well, the first thing they should ask themselves is, do you want any wealth you accumulate, whether it's through a property, your home or retirement or any assets to go to creditors? which would it include a probate attorney. Do you want that money to go to creditors or you want that money to go to your family? It's your choice. If you wanted to go to your family, then you need to get an estate plan in place or at least take, take advantage of a complimentary consultation, whether it's me, an estate planning attorney or anybody else that does this. I would encourage everyone to get two to three consultations and then determine who makes the most sense. I bring a different perspective to it. But at the end of the day, do you want your money going to creditors or do you want your money going to your family? It, it's up to you. Do you want your family who just lost you, who physically, emotionally, and mentally is going through the worst times of their lives to now have to deal with a probate process that can go up to a year or longer? Or do you want it to be a smooth transition so they can you know, figure out life as it's going to uh, relate without you in it because you're no longer with us? So from that standpoint, um, I would say, if you own a home, you have children, you should be talking with somebody to see about about getting these uh, documents put in place. Um, you know, there's more than just a trust and a will, if you will. And and there's a huge misconception on wills. They do not avoid probate. And people are out there pushing wills and they don't avoid probate. You can have a will and think you're taken care of. You're still going to end up in a yeah. probate court. It's so, true. Yeah. And 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 my perspective is different because I worked in the banking industry. I built out a trust department in the late nineties and I reviewed probably a hundred thousands of those. So when you talk about working for a law firm and being a back office support, uh, the law firm I work in, and I won't give them a plug on this but the law firm I work in doesn't have a better back office support for an estate planner than me. And I know I'm being a little cocky there, but my experience, I took an interest in it because my family was affected. I became an expert in the industry.
1: So for, I love that you said um, somebody should get multiple consultations. I think that it's, it's so important to see the other perspectives. Um, and this may be an unfair question. So if it is, you can tell me that you don't want to answer it. And I'm cool with that. Are there red flags that people should look for when they go into those consultations? Are there questions people should be asking to make sure that the person that they're consulting with doesn't just talk a big game that actually can take care of them?
0: Here's the question I would ask. The first thing I would do is I would interview an attorney. The next thing I would, and I interviewed 23 of them, that's how I built my business. And then I would interview somebody who maybe is not an attorney, and, but does the, this and, and, and kind of get the perspectives. The one question I would ask to both is once you prepare these documents and we sign them and notarize them and have a fully executed estate plan, what do you do for me past the preparation and execution of the documents? Find out what service you were getting past that. You know, yeah. you could pay four, you could pay four or five hundred bucks and go get that done. But remember, I worked in the banking industry where many people had these things done and decisions the banks made, and then uh decisions individuals made because they didn't know. Um, things never happened and they had these documents in place, but their assets were never transferred to them, therefore not governed by them.
1: Yeah, and absolutely.
0: Guess and, and and with all due respect to lawyers. Um, they don't have the time to sit there and follow up with all their clients and they don't have a follow-up plan. And I know this because I, I, I interviewed the industry. I interviewed 23 of them to find out how they help people fund their trust. And they all said the same thing. It's not my responsibility. We don't take on that liability.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I mean, you're not completely wrong. I, but what I will say is even if they did have the time, and, and I'm not saying that anybody shouldn't go to an attorney. I'm just saying from a cost perspective, um, even if they do have the time, they're billable hours for that, you know? So that's how law firms are run. So it's, it's an interesting question to ask. And honestly, it's really weird because even though I'm in the legal profession, um, I don't do probate, I don't do any of this. And that would not have been a question that I would have thought to answer so I think that, or to ask. So I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah, it's honestly, when I went and interviewed the 23 attorneys, that's the question I asked because remember, that's my background, watching people end up in probate when they have these documents already prepared by an attorney. So, the one question I asked to every attorney was, What do you do past the preparation of the documents for your clients? And they all said, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but they all said it all came down to the same thing. And I'm not knocking them for that. I just thought, Okay, that's how I build my business around the service.
1: Yeah, documents are the documents.
0: You know so i built my business and i'm not knocking attorneys i don't have a law degree so i can't charge 350 an hour or 200 an hour you know i don't i don't have that but i do have the experience necessary to be an expert in the field and uh i can keep my costs down because i'm not an attorney um and and you know if, if people feel more comfortable with the attorney we have an attorney that can come in and do the consultations with me um with all due respect the price doubles though yeah absolutely it's, you know just
1: yeah so, um, if people want to get a hold of you, if people want to reach out to you for anything that we've talked about today, the networking, the taxes, the estate planning, or just because you have a really cool beard and they want to see, you know, <laughs> how they can connect with somebody that's so awesome. What's the best way for them to reach out to you?
0: Well, you know, you can always, um, I make my cell phone accessible to anybody and everybody, and I'm not afraid to put it on here. It's five, six, two, three, zero, seven, four, three, two, zero. All my clients get that and have access to me seven days a week. Um, Rick at Mr. MrCoz.com. dot com. That's mrco dot com. You could go there. You'll get my link tree to all my websites. You have access to my calendar. You can book an appointment with me at any time. You get on my. I live off my calendar. My calendar tells me what you I do from one day to the next, and I learned that from the CEO of uh, J P Morgan Chase. And I figured if that's his number one priority, it should be mine too. And I yeah, made that It's years so ago.
1: true. <laughs> it's so true. I feel like um, I should just name my calendar mom because I just went from having a parent that told me what to do to a calendar that tells me what to do. But right. it's true. If I if I don't yeah. if it's not on my calendar, it doesn't happen. I do have to say though, yeah. you are a hell of a lot braver than I am putting yourself on the internet. So um Congrats for being brave or crazy. I haven't decided which yet. (laughs) Um, All right. So, with that being said, let's take a quick switch over to the success element part of this podcast. So, it's called More Than Corporate, and it started because. I got asked the question, what does success mean to you? And I couldn't answer it. And I thought, man, it's crazy that I'm 35 years old and I've never asked myself this question of what success means. And the more that I started to dig into that, the more that I realized that if we don't know the question, how do we live it? How do we have a successful life? So I ask every single one of my um, podcast guests, what does success mean to you? How do you define that? How do you know if you're successful?
0: So it's interesting. That's a phenomenal question because I used to love to answer that question. And I'll tell you the evolution of success for me. It started with money. I had to make the money. Money defined success. Then I said, well, wait a minute. No, I want my results to define the the success. And if my results do well, the compensation is going to follow. So I don't have to make it about the money. Then it evolved to where it is today. And how I define success today is very simple. Was I better than yesterday? And was I able to make an, a positive impact on another person's life? Whether it's through advice, a good deed, uh, whatever it is, am I able from a selfless standpoint to make a difference in another person's life? And if I am, then I was successful. And if I wasn't, then I under, need to understand why and what I could have done different and how I could help. And then that's a deeper conversation.
1: Yeah. And, and I love that definition. I'm curious to know, and I say this, um, Completely lovingly, so I'm going to put that out there first, in the rose-colored glasses that we all have, full of justification and wanting to make ourselves feel better. How do you answer the question, "Was I better than yesterday?"
0: Well, that's it's a loaded one, right? Because how do you define it? Um, It's all you could do is do your best. Wake up every morning and get to work and go do your best. And the goal is always to be better than yesterday. I make mistakes, so. As I lay down at night and reflect on my day, I reflect on my areas of opportunity. What could I have done better today? Maybe it's how I responded to somebody. Maybe it's how I took criticism. Maybe it's just how I um, did my job. And then I think about how I can do it differently tomorrow. And then I go do it. And then I go do it. And and uh, you know, there's there's no real monetary measurement to it. It's just the feel. You know, how do I feel about it? You know, do I feel like I had a great day and there was no room for improvement today? Or can I find that area for improvement within myself and do a little self-diagnosis?
1: Yeah, I love that you said there's no monetary measurement to it because I can talk to multimillionaires and have talked to multimillionaires that would say the same thing. Like the zeros that were in my bank account didn't tell me how successful I was. I was miserable. I didn't have a relationship with my family. So I think that it's really interesting to separate what society deems successful, what a bank account would deem successful, what monetary success is from that true. Am I living a life that I really believe is successful? And that's an individual question that nobody else can answer but yourself.
0: That's correct. That's correct. And it's a great question. And it's thought provoking, you know, uh, I had the answer for that because that's how I kind of live, but a lot might not. So it's a great question because then if it provokes thought and gets them to think differently, then the question was a was a phenomenal one and had an impact.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Are you a journaler? Like, as you go through the things that you talked about, and you sit down at night and you say, "Hey, what could I have done better?" Do you do you keep track of those at all? Do you do you track your progress at all, or or how do you monitor your growth?
0: I don't, and I probably should. You know, I for twenty seven years, I was held accountable to measurements, or I was holding other holding other people accountable to measurements. I just, you know, I have a certain discipline and structure to what my day looks like. And I stay within that discipline and structure. We tweak it from time to time. Um, but that's how I build my businesses, just discipline and structure. I, you know, it, I don't know. You know, it, it, it's a great question, but um, I just I just keep moving forward. I just keep moving yeah. forward. I mean, yeah, things bother me like anybody else and what have you. But I, I try to, to weed them out and just keep keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on the fence with journaling. I haven't really bought into the journaling thing yet. Like I keep yeah. telling myself I should. And then there are times where there are things in my life that I don't necessarily want to go back and think about again, right? So, if yeah. I mean, when I journal, I do it from an action standpoint instead of a story standpoint. You mm. know, instead of saying like this is all the stuff that happened to me today, um being yeah. able to say like these are the actions that I wish that I would have done differently, or these are the things that I wanted, or this was something I'm grateful for. But I think um that true idea of what we considered journaling years ago just gives us an opportunity to relive the life that we are trying to outgrow.
0: Yeah. And you know, I'm not against journaling. I think it has a lot of value. My concern is I am not a big reader, and maybe you'll get into that. I know you're a book person, unless it yeah. pertains unless it pertains to The knowledge I need to have in my career, that's where my reading takes place to make Mm -hmm. sure I'm on top of things because, you know, people are contracting me to take care of them. Um, I need to know it, but I I don't think I'd ever go back and read the journals. So I'm like, well, I I could write it and be in that moment, but, you know, but I'm not knocking it. I think it's a great thing. It's just not something I've done. Um, But if it works for somebody, it's the end of the day whatever drives and motivates you, whatever helps you as an individual with your self-improvement, your development, I support because I don't think there's a blanket answer. I don't think there's a blanket way to do it. It's, it's what works well for you. And, and it's worked into your regimen, uh, through your discipline and structure.
1: Yeah. Can we just, um, can we just shout that from the rooftops for a minute? I'm so tired of hearing people say, do it this way. This is the only way to do it. And it's so funny because every course that I've released, every worksheet that I've released always looks like I'm saying, do it if you want, don't do it if you don't. But it's like, here's the information I use. Here's what's helped me. Here are some other things that I found. Here's all the information. Go do your thing. Right. Um, but I feel like there's so many people out there that are like, you have to have seven egg whites in the morning and then you need to journal for 17 seconds. And then I want you to meditate while you walk and stand on one hand at the same time. Like, it's just, there's so many people out there that are like, this is what worked for me. So it has to be the only way. So it's really refreshing to hear somebody say, do whatever works for you.
0: Yeah. Well, think about it. And I'll, I'll use it now. Do you think about dieting? you got got systems, you've got keto, you've got uh, Jenny Craig, you've got all these different diets, right? And they're all different types of diets. But at the end of the day, is all it is, is all of them are good. they are different ways of doing it. It's just creating discipline and structure in your eating habits and, and yeah. what you put in your body. But there's many different, I mean, and I only named like three, there's hundreds of them out there. And it's just what works for you, right? There's no way it's just, but, it, but all of them, it's about discipline
1: hmm So I'm going to pick on you for just a minute, because I'm curious about this sure. reading thing. Um, I love that you just said, sure, when I said I was going to pick on you. You're like, bring it on. This is what I love about you. <laughs> so um, you don't read. Do you, you listen to audiobooks?
0: Not as much as I, can, I should. Um, I'll listen to podcasts from okay. time to time. Um, it's an area of opportunity for me. I'm not going to lie. I have been encouraged to do more of it Um, My day is so packed Mm -hmm. with stuff. And all the reading I do is like right now, it's all about tax and tax on just trying to stay on top. So I affect my clients in a positive way. And I don't mess anything up on their tax situation. Right. So that's where my reading is. Um, It, it, you know, it just, it's one of those things. I I think it's great. I, I probably would probably open my eyes and broaden my horizons and give me other things to talk about <laughs> and relate to had I read more. So I'm not big on New Year's resolutions at all, but I am big on commitments. So maybe that's something I need to recommit to <laughs> and 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 see if uh, it, it makes a difference for me.
1: Um, I'm interested. The reason that I ask is because you have such this leadership component to everything that you do, and you have these amazing ideas with networking, and you have all these amazing business opportunities, and you just have this way of thinking about things that's fantastic. And I'm curious to know how you keep that perspective fresh. Is it podcasts? Is it interesting conversations? Like what is it that allows you to constantly think about things differently if it's not reading?
0: Well, it's, it's, that's how I built a career. I did things different. I'm an out of the box thinker by nature. I always did things different and um, it was very hard to teach and, When I say this, don't don't take it personal. Anybody out there listening, I'm not a. I don't feel you can teach people how to be leaders. I feel you either have the attributes. I always look for attributes when I hire to look for my leaders. Do you have the attributes that are of leadership quality, the personality, the how you relate to people, how you can talk to another? Now I could be wrong because I'm sure people, everyone's into self development, and I support that. And maybe you can be taught it. I had a very difficult time teaching people how to do what made me successful and what had me. Kind of move up the ranks because, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe I wasn't a good trainer. I don't know what it was, but I found it very difficult. So, you know, I am just trying to apply what I did and what made me successful in my career into networking. When I got out there at the end of 2019 and a little bit in 18 in in a different uh, market, um, I never networked. I didn't know. So I did everything and anything. I was at everything and anything. And I realized what I was looking for and what was missing. And yeah. I'm trying to just bring a different perspective to it. And more than anything, just put my touch on it based on my leadership. You know, I'm not, you know, my networking group's really not about me. It's about the group. It's can I bring people together and can I lead them? And, and can we have a huge community and it's only going to work if people want to get involved. If people don't want to get involved with it, you know, your chambers weren't built by a couple of guys, uh, your social register, any other big organization was it? I think big Amber, I think big. And, you know, but I also am a realist and I know what I'm capable of doing. Um uh, you know, another thing I did very well was I always hired people better than me. Mm-hmm. I went out and found the people better than me because and that's what I'm looking to do out here is find people that want to complement the organization and help us grow and be a part of something. And if not, then we'll be a bunch of happy hours, some power luncheons and uh you know, Which will still be amazing
1: be. and grow businesses. You know, I think yeah. that one of the most fantastic things about the best re- relationships that I have and friendships that I have is the ability to disagree and continue to grow and have the conversations. Um, and you know, I've thought a lot about this leadership conversation because I know that you left a comment. This was probably a couple of months ago. You left a comment on a Facebook post of mine, um, very similar to what you just said that you, you didn't think that you could teach leaders. And I've spent a lot of time thinking about that. Um, and I'm so on the fence. Like, I think that if, I think there's this DNA desire to want to be a leader that can't be built I think that the skills of how to execute a leader, if you are hardwired for those types of jobs can be taught. And so I think that's where I go back and forth. I think that you absolutely can teach somebody how to be a good leader. And at the same time, they have to want it at a molecular level and be like, there are just some people who will never be good teachers. There's some people who will never be good leaders because that's not what they actually want out of life. And so I do think you can teach somebody to be a good leader. They have to want it first and they have to be willing to really challenge some of the thoughts that they might have about what leadership entails in order to learn, if that makes sense. How does that fall in line with what you meant when you said you can't teach leaders?
0: let me clarify i did say that and i remember that that comment if you want to be a leader and learn to be a leader the first thing is you have to be open-minded and willing to learn and adapt to new things and then you need to be willing to dive in head first full force ahead and go for it okay um it's when i say you can't do it it's based on my experience mm-hmm. doesn't mean there's not a market for it doesn't mean yeah. that there's not people out there that there's not a business for leadership training doesn't mean that there's not people that want to improve you're know, we're in we're in an we're in a, an environment these days a culture if you will where everyone is looking to self-improve or they should be and there's a lot of great courses out there for self-improvement and development and leadership is one of them i'm not telling anyone not to go take leaderships because if, even if you took a leadership training if you came out of it with one thing you know with whatever it is you came out with one thing that can make it make a difference in 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 how you uh interact and what have you then it was valuable
1: I love these conversations because of the fact that everybody brings a different perspective to it. And I don't think that your position is wrong, nor could I ever say that because it's your position and your opinion. And it is by definition, right. If it's your opinion. Um, I just think that it's really interesting the way that um, the way that different experiences shape our beliefs about what's possible.
0: Yeah, well, you know, here, here's 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 what happens. You worked in corporate, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the way things work in corporate typically is, um, I learned a lot at J.P. Chase is somebody who is a top performer, a top individual producer, right? Because of their performance, they are put into leadership positions where they're now mm-hmm. managing others. Just because you are a great individual producer does not make you a great leader, okay? Because when you're a leader, you have to get the best out of others. Okay. And you have to do it with compassion and you have to take an interest in them. Okay. It's not just why aren't you doing this? And you got to coach. There's a lot of coaching, Mm a lot of coaching on language, how they're talking to people, a lot of coaching on behaviors and activities. So um I just yeah, I watch a lot of people over my career get put into leadership positions only to be told, hey, we got to put you back in individual production. (laughs) Like you're
1: not meant for (laughs) this.
0: Right. Better there.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's I, you know what? That's a really cool statement and because I'm going to dig into this for a minute and then we're going to start to wrap up because I want to be respectful of your time. Um, but I think that that problem is more of a failure on corporate America's part than it is on the ability of somebody to learn. You know, the, the reality is people need to understand that the skills that allow somebody to be a good salesman or a good producer or, um, get results in an individual capacity, as you just said, are completely separate than the skills that are required to get those same results out of somebody else. So what's failing to happen is that people are getting promoted, as you just said, and then they're not getting the development that would allow them to embrace those things. And and maybe they're not meant to be in that spot. Um, but I, I feel like it's almost setting them up to fail because of the lack of resources that are being put into the actual training of that individual.
0: Yeah, you know, I learned a quick story. You know, I, I was invited down to New York to be in this executive meeting with a bunch of big shots and, and 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 me and a bunch of my peers. And I've always brought stuff to the table. I learned that no, no question is a bad question. And you always bring stuff to the table, whether it's a good idea, bad idea, that'll sort it out. But bring stuff to the table. And, and we sat, we came to New York and we sat through these meetings. And on day three, the 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 president and CEO said, you know, you, you, and you, he called them by names. He goes, this is Amber, our HR representative. Uh, your employment is terminated today. We're going to go ahead and let you go. These were managers. And they're like, huh? Like, yeah, you came here, you spent three days and didn't say a word, not one word. This wasn't, I didn't bring you for a free trip to New York. I brought you because you're a leader out there. This was in California. And you're affecting others. And I needed to see you, the fact that you brought nothing to the table out here, I can't have you leading others. And he just let him go on the spot. And that was a wake up call. So I've always, at that point, it's like, OK, I'm always bringing something to the table. I don't care whether it's dumb or not, not thought out. I'm bringing something. We can figure out the rest later if we have to. But that's kind of where I learned um, to just you know bring something to the table. Uh, no matter what it is.
1: I think that that's such a valuable lesson to start to wrap up with, bring something to the table, whatever it is. Um, It's, you know, so important because if you don't, somebody else will. Um, So again, one more time before we wrap up, what's the best place for people to reach out? Your website
0: is? Yeah, so you can go to, uh, you know, I got several websites for several different businesses. The best thing is my link tree, uh, uh, MrKoz.com. That's M-R-C-O-Z.com. You go there, you can click into any of my websites to see more about me and and the different businesses uh, that I have. Uh, you can, like I said, get on my calendar, uh, my phone number's posted there. I have my cell phone all over the place. It's 562-307-4320. I don't mind giving it out uh, because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't even know my office number. I have an office, local office <laughs> number. I don't have it memorized. It forwards to my cell phone if I'm not in the office. So um it's just one of those things. It's on all my my, my promotional materials and what have you. Um, but I don't mind. I want to be accessible.
1: I want to thank Rick so much for coming on the show. It was amazing to be able to connect with you. Again, if you guys are in the Las Vegas area, go ahead and reach out to Rick um, and schedule a call with him. He is a fantastic person to know. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it.